Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, and our destination for this episode is Chile or Chile. Chile, country. We know what it is. It's that long, narrow strip down the western coast of South America. Uh, it's got that. Yeah, Andes on the east, which is why it doesn't go inland much more, and the Pacific Ocean to the west, and bordering with Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, and of course the Drake Passage. All right big names. They are. All big names. In this episode, we'll learn about the arid Atacama Desert in the north. Here we go. Head to the wild south to explore trekking, chat Chilean wine, and find out about the mummies that are older than those in Egypt. No. Okay. Apparently. All right. Firstly, what's your quiz question? All right. By the time everyone hears this, it'll be too late. But put this in the calendar for next year. I've just heard about this one. Every year in the first week of July is the Mango Festival. Mango eating competitions. <laughs> Wear a raincoat. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Mango quizzes and other sort of mango-related competitions. And this happens in the because in the area where this city is, there are more than 50 varieties of mangoes uh, are grown there. But what's the city? Where's the Mango Festival? Well, I guess you'll tell us at the end of the episode. I will. Chad Carey has a company called Chimu Adventures and they offer itineraries to Latin America. However, Phil, it's an Australian-based company. Okay. And Chad, how'd that come about? Yeah, well, look, it's, it, I mean, it's Latin America and, and the polar regions, really. But um, I, I guess how it came about is uh, Greg, my business partner, and I were actually working in London at the time and, and I wanted to go and explore South America. So uh, I didn't really know what to do. I looked around, tried to find a few tours, just couldn't find trips that, that I liked for that sort of region of the world. So uh, Greg had just come back from living over there, and, and we sort of, after quite half a dozen beers or so, decided it would be a great idea to start a business plan as a travel and, um, and actually start up a, a tour operating business to Latin America. So that's what I travelled around for about six months, did a bit of that, met a lot of people, you know, tied up a bit of business plan, got a few angel investors involved and things like that and got back to Australia and, uh, and we just sort of gave it a shot. Now, this podcast is on Chile in particular. So what are the options to explore Chile? Are they endless? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Chile's sort of got one of the, the longest coastlines in the world. So, you know, even though it's a thin country, there's a huge, you know, diversity and in um, um, geography and, and, and sort of different sites that you can see along the length of that coast, uh, from deserts up in the north down to the sort of wilds of Patagonia at the bottom. So, so there's a huge amount of variety all through Chile. Tell me about, and I'm hopeless with pronunciations, the Atacama Desert. Yeah, no, perfect, spot on. Oh. Uh, so that's, yeah, so that's... that's <laughs> you know, it was a free right yeah, up, that right was I gotta tell yeah. you, Chad, that's the first time she's ever got one wrong. Because <laughs> I have, I have read there are places in that desert where it is has never recorded one drop of rain. Well, yes, that's true. It's, it's a, well, it's it's the driest place on Earth, except for uh, a little region called the Dry Valleys in Antarctica. But uh, but other than that, that yeah, it's a, it's the driest place on Earth, and um, you know, and, and so. It, it's uh, it, it obviously got these dramatic landscapes. There's a lot, not a lot of vegetation. Um, sort of the, the, the Valley of the Moon is, is one of them that's quite famous. Uh, there's actually quite a few valleys of the moon around that whole region into Bolivia as well because they almost are, you know, it's the closest you get to being to having a lunar landscape. Um, but it's also one of the best um, stargazing spots on the planet. Um, and, and in fact, there's a, 
sort of observatories and things in that region and, and ones that um, visitors can go and see as well. So do you encourage trekking through that area? Uh, trekking, tre- I mean, probably not so much just there. Actually, on the north, or just near on, Argent- on the Argentine side, there's probably a few better treks. But I think you're better off going around in a four-wheel drive vehicle, you know, you, to get around the different spots. There's quite a big distance between them. And, and because it's so barren, sometimes between those spots, um, it, you know, it's not sort of conducive to trekking as much. But, you know, it's, it's just really getting to, to the geysers, the geysers and, um, you know, get, get into... Uh, um, some of the lakes there, you've got a whole string of lakes that, that come through some of those regions, just to different colours in every spot. Uh, you've got um, something goes through them, all sorts of wildlife. So it's um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular. For me, the best thing to do is just at night, just to lay out and gaze up at the stars. I said, this, you know, the, the the sort of the air is so clear there that you can you can uh, you can see the Milky Way so clearly it's 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 very bright almost blindingly bright so uh yeah it's it's quite a lot to see up there tell me about patagonia too i've heard like everybody talks about patagonia when they mention chile or chile i've heard it's expensive Uh, as a as a world nomad as somebody that wants to go off the beaten track can you experience it without sort of breaking the bank uh, yeah, yes, and I mean, look, there are there are sort of notorious places that are expensive, like Torres del Paine National Park, which is sort of the famous one there. And e- even for that, you can do it on a bit of a shoestring. There's um, these um, little refugios, these little sort of little camps that you can stay in and do it there. Um, but even even doing those, you know, for uh, on a sort of shoestring budget, it, it can be quite expensive. But Torres del Paine is just a small portion of you know Patagonia, which really sort of goes from the Lake District between. Chile and Argentina all the way down to you know the bottom of South America generally um, and you know all through that area that Lake District area is, is quite amazing in itself but there's a whole bunch of untouched um, you know recently untouched um, parks through that area that, that just aren't visited by the average traveller uh, in fact um, the, the Tompkins um, Doug and uh, Christine I think it is Tompkins who who were the founders of Esprit and um, they also worked at Patagonia as well uh, and were obviously quite quite wealthy uh, Doug Tompkins just died recently and he donated all their land to uh, Chile to create a huge national park through there it's only recently become a national park so, uh, and that still, you know, is reasonably unexplored and not many tourists have actually been there. So there's all these regions that you can go to through Patagonia, which can cost too much. You can camp, you can trek, you can do those sorts of things and, and sort of live off a shoestring pretty easily. Is there a uh, better time of year to go and do that? Oh, definitely, you know, the, the, the southern hemisphere summer. You know, you don't want to go there in winter, especially down towards the bottom, the, the sort of Tierra del Fuego, which is the, you know, right down the bottom. Uh, you know, outside of, you know, you've got sort of about October to April uh, in the regions, okay, but outside of that, it's, it's way too cold, snow and everything like that. Does it feel like, Phil, you'll be able to answer this question, does it feel like South America's a real go-to place at oh, the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually calling it a couple of times in conversations. I've named it as like the Southeast Asia of, you know, the 2000s. You know, back in the 70s, everybody went off and went exploring what was then unexplored in you know, in Western terms, Southeast Asia. And I think that's happening to South America now. It's really sort of starting to... I mean, travel to there is just booming. It's just growing leaps and bounds every year. So, yeah, I think it's like, you know, the new travel frontier. And what would your reaction to that be, Chad? Oh, I think so too. I mean, you know, as you say, Asia, Asia sort of was that for, for quite some time. But, 
you know, it's sort of, it, it's become the sort of, most of Asia now, you know, has become a little commoditized. And, and to that extent, you know, there there is sort of that exploration component to it as much. Uh, for me, really, you know, the only sort of uh, two continents where you can get that experience now, Africa and South America. Um, and Africa is obviously has a few safety issues with it. And, and South America did so in the past a little bit. But, but these days, other than with the exception of maybe Venezuela, the whole continent's relatively safe. So you can still sort of have that adventure component while still feeling safe. So I think that's why it's such a massive attraction at the moment. Yeah, Venezuela, I ought... I'm also quoted as saying you've got to be crackers to go Caracas. It's <laughs> a dangerous place. But look, so what are, you know, companies like you, what are you doing to try and make sure that South America doesn't become commoditized? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's, you know, as things become more popular, it, it will happen to a certain extent, at least in the popular areas. But I think the great thing with, with South America compared to, say, Asia, which is so densely populated, you know, in, in Asia, uh, South America has so many sort of vast untouched areas where which are still relatively off the beaten track. So, you know, I, I still think it's got a considerable time to go before all those um, before all those areas become well trodden, that's for sure. That's good to hear. And just a bit more information on that donation of land for national parks that Chad mentioned from Douglas Tompkins. He was the co-founder of the clothing brands Esprit and the North Face. It is, Phil, the largest ever made in Chile's history, 407,625 hectares or 1 million acres. Wow. Uh, sadly, though, Douglas died in 2015 when he was 72 in a kayaking accident in southern Chile. Now, later in the episode, Phil, we'll catch up with World Nomads Millie, who spent time in Chile. Millie went to Chile. And <laughs> I've been waiting for that. I've, I've been holding that in reserve. I've been waiting yeah. for that. And uh, she'll talk about the, the um, walk that she did on the W Trek. That's in the south of Chile. This is Steph, who's going to chat to us about northern Chile. Did you like that one? Millie, Millie went to Chile, Steph? <laughs> very, very good. There's lots of good Chile jokes, I think. So, yeah. Oh, are there? Do you know any others? <laughs> well, I mean, every time it gets cold here, it's Chile and Chile. I think that's, oh, yeah, that's right. the, uh, the best one. Uh, yeah. yeah good dad joke. <laughs> All right. So you, you've written an article that we'll share in show notes, but you say why well, the south of the country is best known for its lush forests and the glacier-riddled mountains that uh, Millie will chat about. Northern Chile is in many ways very opposite. Can you explain why or how? Yeah, um, I think what people don't realise about Chile until they get here is it's just, it's one of the most extreme countries I think there is in South America. Um, it has got so many different landscapes and yeah, while you've got in the south, you've got the, 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 the Andes mountains and you've got the glaciers and you've got lots of hiking and things like that. Um, in the north, it's basically the Atacama Desert. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary landscape and it's got a surprising number of things to do for something that you'd imagine would be particularly barren, really. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete contrast. We chatted earlier to Chad, who said that the desert is known for scar, scar dazing. Yes, and also stargazing. <laughs> stargazing is what I was yep. trying to say. Uh, have you experienced that and the Milky Way in its purest form? Yeah. Um, when I was in San Pedro de Atacama, which is uh, the, the best-known uh, town in the north of Chile, um, and it's considered the best place, I think, on the planet to go stargazing. Um, which is because of the high altitude, the fact that it's so dry, so you don't get very many clouds. 
and also because it's very little light pollution because there's hardly any any towns and things there. Um, and yeah, I went on a stargazing tour, and it, it's just incredible the kind of quality and and the purity of the the stars that you see when you're there. It's really such a recommended activity for anyone who does get to go there. Well, you've got a great photo in the article that you've written for us. So, so what else is up north that's different to south? The south. Um, well, I guess one of my favourite things when I was there, which was there last year, um, is is the mummies, the Chinchorro mummies, um, which are actually the oldest on the planet. Predating the Egyptian mummies? Yeah, they actually predate them by 2,000 years. Oh, just a um, bit <laughs> And it's fascinating because no one's heard of them either. This is what strikes me so much about northern Chile, like, They've got the oldest mummies on the planet and no one knows. So how were they uncovered? Um, well, basically, they're called the Chincholo mummies because that's the name of the beach that you find on Arica. Arica is the, the northernmost town or city, really, in Chile. Um, and basically, um, some of the most famous ones were found in the foundations of a, a house that was being converted into a hotel. Um, and they started digging, and they just found, I think it's 32 mummies they found in the foundations of this house. And they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't move them because they're in such a delicate state. So now you can actually go and visit this house um, and go and see the mummies still lying in the ground, still just kind of staring up at you. It's it's really it's really fascinating museum to visit. Was mummification part of um, ancient culture in Chile, or was that a bit of a surprise? Um, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, what's so interesting about the Chinchero mummies is that they actually, because of the climate, because of how dry it is in the desert, um, a lot of them actually were mummified naturally. Um, and they don't know whether that kind of predates the actual the mummification, like the, the practices that then the the Chinchari people adapted, um, but yeah, they, they they've they've survived so well because it's such a dry climate that they've just been buried in the sand and survived to this day. Well, look, now we're in northern Chile now, so the indigenous culture, the local culture, how does it differ from? I mean, because you got the Andes chain going all, all the way up. Uh, but how does Chilean culture differ from, say, Peruvian? Well, this is another interesting thing about Chile that I think um, there's quite a few misconceptions about the culture here. Because if you're in Santiago, it's very European. You, you could feel like you were practically in any city in Europe. Um, but the north of, of Chile has a lot in, in sort of in, in common with Peru and with Bolivia. The Andes has a very, very strong culture. You've got the indigenous Aymara um, and Quechua speaking um, cultural groups and things like that. So when you're in the north, particularly around San Pedro de Atacama, Arica, there's um, there's a real sense of the Andean culture that you can see a lot in the clothes that people wear and also in the adobe buildings that they have there as well, um, sort of mud houses that you see a lot more in, in Peru and Bolivia than you do in other parts of Chile. Okay, let's leave Steph there for the time being and we'll come back to her to chat wine. And, Phil, we uncovered a cultural war in our episode on Finland, didn't we? Yep. Uh, Chile and Peru have their own battle going on, which Steph will tell us about. But we will catch up with our own world nomad, Millie, who went to Chile (laughs) later in the episode. 
But she's not the only employee that loves travel. I did a quick whip around some of the other staff to see what they've been up to. The last trip I had was to Central America, Costa Rica, Florida and Panama. I was actually over there to visit a sea turtle charity that we sponsor through the Footprints Network. After the work trip, I actually went up to Canada to visit a few mates up there and went skiing in Whistler, so that was always good. Uh, my last big trip was Central America, so that was Mexico, then Guatemala, Nicaragua, um, Costa Rica, then jumped down to Colombia as well. It's amazing. I think it's got a really new tourist scene in a lot of places and everyone's really excited to show you around and stuff. I had a really good time. Cool. So what's next? You've got to be sitting here in the World Nomads headquarters in Sydney thinking, where can I go? Yeah, um, I'm really keen to go to Seoul, I think. I'm planning that for next year. Alright, well you need to listen to the podcast on South Korea. <laughs> Yep, definitely get around it. It was family based, so we're home to New Zealand, UK in October. We're doing a bit of a road trip around the southwest, so that's fun. There'll be something new for us both. My last trip was to Bali and the Gili Islands in Indonesia. Um, so I was working remotely from a co working space there, but also managed to sneak away off to the Gili Islands to um, have a bit of a snorkel and check out the local scene. Well, my next trip next week will be to going and taking my kids skiing, which will be the first time they'll see snow, which is exciting. Most of my travels these days are pretty close to home um you know camping and um doing little mini adventures it's still in our kids the love of travel so that's where we're at right now and i've just returned from japan while well, phil you're planning a trip to uh singapore can i try singapore we don't just walk the walk we talk the talk <laughs> now you haven't been to chile chile or chile but you rate their wine which uh, yep I, I, look seriously i struggle with that because i haven't tasted a good chilean wine so we'll get back to steph chat wine find out why why chile and peru don't see eye to eye on a drink called pisco then we'll be back I'm a big fan of Chilean wine, so I think that they're working their hardest to get the good stuff sent out of the country and people to see how, how tasty it is. You say you keep all the good stuff in Chile. You're not sending <laughs> the... Is that right? Well, the funny thing is as well that I, I don't think the Chilean general population actually knows that much about wine. Um, but it, it feels like, yeah, the, you can get some really, really good wine here for, I don't know, like five six dollars and it's really good quality and if you go and visit the vineyards as well like wow in terms of pisco pisco is basically um it's a type of brandy that they make from the grapes and it's quite an interesting um an interesting drink because there's a very controversial discussion let's put it um between peru and chile as to who actually uh had the first pisco and i think most of the time things go in favor of peru but Chile has its own place called Pisco Elqui, where they still make Pisco to this day. And if you go and visit, there's some really great little boutiques. They're called Piscarias. Um, and you can go and visit them. You can go and get taken around the facilities. You can go and try some Pisco. And it's very strong, so be careful. And one of my favorites, there's this place called Los Nichos, which is basically, I think it's the oldest still functioning um Pisco Distilleria in Chile, and it's in a really beautiful old colonial house, and the, the Pisco is really, really good quality. So it's definitely worth a visit. Okay, well, let's put this argument to rest at the end of the episode. Phil, are you up for a quick tasting between you and I and a few others? Let's, yeah, well, let's, let's have a, a party. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah well, I've, I've nicked down to the bottle shop and I've got a bottle of Chilean wine, so, yeah, I'm up for a tasting. Okay, so just a reminder, on record, me, not a fan, you... I've had some good ones. Welcome, Millie McGrath, back to the studio. Last time we chatted to you, it was about New Zealand and you had a shocking cold. Are you well enough to chat today? 
Oh, yes, I certainly am. And why <laughs> wouldn't you be? You've just spent three months in South America. I have. How was it? Yeah, it was it was awesome. Absolutely unreal. But I'd probably say the highlight was um, Torres del Pine in Patagonia. So okay. that was the five-day, 100-kilometre trek around the W circuit. Yeah. So we started the trek, um, I think, the last day of April, which is just about officially winter in Torres del Pine. So it's called the W circuit because a bird's-eye view of the park you can uh, you actually have to backtrack a few times, obviously yep. as a W. So you start at a place called Pain Grande, <laughs> then you walk up to um, Glacier Grey, then you come back the yep. next day, and you walk up to the middle of the W, which is the Francis Valley, and then you start walking back down the other side of the W until you get to the base of the towers. So there's these three really famous granite pillars. Um, that are at the, they sit at the base of a lake and they're really beautiful and all the photos of Torres del Pine that you see will be tiny person, big landscape with these big pillars. Right. right. Seen them, yes. Yep. Um, the funny part is that part of the W track is really difficult if there's been a lot of snow and ice and we ended up doing this whole, I think it was like 75 kilometres of the W track and on the last day we were supposed to go up to see the, I think they call it, Las Torres, and when we got about 100 metres shy of the summit, it was just completely hard-packed snow, so icy, you well, I took one step and almost slipped over, um, so I just went, nah, not worth it. Really? Yeah, it was that bad. Okay, so... So, so did it, you get to see them? No. Did you see them? No. By 100 metres? Oh, it was... So there was this trail. We actually saw three other people going up there. Yep. They were probably moving a millimetre a second, slipping and sliding everywhere. And it's quite a treacherous drop off the side. No helicopter evacuation up here. Ooh. Um, so, so you were just too piss weak to carry on and do it then? <laughs> well, well, full disclosure, Mark was powering ahead. He had his trekking poles dug yeah, yeah, into yeah. the snow. But me, I'm, I'm clumsy. If you know me, I'll trip over anywhere. Over my shoelaces. But it's just being a responsible traveller, Phil. That's right. It's looking after mm, yourself. No pa- helicopter evacuation, yeah. as you say. Yeah, you've got to take care. That's right. advocate here. Yeah. Um, so any advice out of that that you would give to anyone that's considering trekking the W track? Uh, if you haven't done overnight hikes and, you know, carried all of your gear, our packs were about 16 to 22 kilos, mm-hmm. you have to carry all of your food, all of your sleeping gear, all of your clothes, for the full five days, especially if you're in winter, uh, when the season is open, um, you know, when it's not freezing cold, which is actually all the time in Patagonia, you have the option to stay in these things called refugios, which is like a cabin um, and you've got a bed and you've got the option to buy food, beer, sit by the fire, really lovely. So they have some facilities. They do. And you can actually pre-book um a tent so when you roll into camp at night a tent is already established for you but you really do have to book in advance if you're not an experienced hiker go during you know patagonian summer book a refugio or a pre-established tent or something and enjoy those comforts because mark and i have done a few overnight hikes and Honestly, the W track was so unbelievably difficult. 
those Patagonian winds are worse than you can imagine. They are just as bad as they say they are. And when yeah. you're carrying yeah. a 15 to 20 kilo bag on your back, you will fall over. Yeah. And it's very serious. Well, um, it's like having a sail on your back. I mean, it's yeah. catching the wind It's and then, as well as off balance. But, yeah, I mean, I was being cheeky before. Yeah. It's not. It's like you are an experienced hiker and outdoors woman. You Thanks, are Phil. off all the time in Australia, so it's not like you're a complete novice, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd been to Nepal earlier this year, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not the best, but... You're not a we, novice. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're reasonably fit, but I'd probably just say the W Trek is really popular. It's becoming more popular, and it is more difficult than a lot of articles are proving online. Okay. So winter is treacherous, really worth it, because we had no one else on the trails, whereas nice. we'd heard from other people during summer, you're walking next to hundreds of people. Tell us about mm. the, the mouse epidemic. Ooh. Oh. So... There's a mouse epidemic in Patagonia at the moment. I, I'd heard from someone that it had started a few months back. I think maybe because irresponsible travellers are leaving their food all over the place or not disposing of their garbage. Because you're supposed to carry all of your rubbish out with you. Yeah. So people have obviously been leaving that um, around the campsites or in the little huts where you can get some shelter. These mice will come out at night and they will go through your food. You'll find them in the tent. They'll, they nibbled a hole in the top of our tent and dropped onto one of our sleeping bags one of the nights. But one of the best pieces of advice that we got was don't take anything with you into your tent at night. That includes a little tube of pawpaw ointment to keep your lips moisturised, hand cream, nothing, no food, anything, because the mice will actually sniff out anything that has a bit of a smell on it. What about condoms? Or, yeah, I don't know if there'll be any of that on the W track. We're pretty tired. Um, but I would include condoms in that list. <laughs> you would. Yeah. You would. Yeah. Yep. Well, they're like mouse sleeping bags. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was just thinking they're lubricated just like a pawpaw ointment. Sure. Anyway. Yeah, okay. sure. It was, it was a reasonable point, Kim. No, I absolutely. <laughs> you agree? Yeah. Right. This is... How disappointing it would be if you suddenly discovered that your condoms had a hole bitten in it by a tiny mouse at the most inconvenient moment. So no, no jokes aside, how did you keep your food away from the, the mice? Because I suspect if they got into it, that would be a big issue. So what we did, we used this cord and lock that we got from um, Kathmandu. We rigged that up. So we connected it to all of our bags, plus the pots and stuff that we'd been cooking with. It's a really strong chain. So we hung that from a really thick branch. Um, and then we had two backpacks, one big bag of food and the pots. You attached all of them. And then I had to help pick it up while Mark quickly latched it on. And we did the combination and attached that to the tree. But one other thing you can do is get a stick and um, sit it in the bottom of the rope so that that carries all of the weight of all of your bags. If you don't do that, a lot of people were hanging their bags from the rafters in the huts. That's actually where the mice are the most active. And if you didn't mouse-proof your food and you lost it, no shops around? Oh, no, I'm not sharing my food. <laughs> We're rationing. <laughs> Excellent. How to mouse-proof your food. Thanks, Millie. 
And while Millie was away, she and her partner Mark got engaged and they'll marry in March 2019, which is next year. Congratulations, Yay. guys. That's awesome. It's always sweet when someone gets engaged. If I have to be married, so should everybody else. <laughs> What's making travel news? <laughs> Segway out of that. Yeah, that, that one, you get straight out of that one. Uh, There's a second volcano which has erupted in the Galapagos Islands. Remember we talked about the other one uh, yep. last episode. The Sierra Negra volcano on the island of Isabella is spewing again. <laughs> mountains of lava and plumes of ash. Spewing. I don't know. It does look quite spectacular when you see footage of night time when it's spewing. Yes. <laughs> I'm spewing about it, mate. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, but this one is on the uh, largest island, which is inhabited, but not at that end of it. Um, so about 50 people have been evacuated from the area, and, of course, the volcano's off limits to visitors at the moment. Uh, we've been speaking about Finland recently as well. Uh, US President Donald Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin will meet for the first summit that's going on at the moment around about this time uh, in Helsinki. So if you're going to be there, watch out for those motorcades and expect very strict security around town. Hope they don't spoil the joint. Uh, Speaking of Singapore, they may start turning back foreign visitors who don't have the required vaccinations. So they want to protect the, uh, you know, the small city state uh, from things like uh, uh, Ebola, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, bird flu, etc. So uh, if and it's not all the time, but they may just like go, okay, there's a bit of a health emergency going on. If you're not vaccinated, you're back on the plane and you're going back to where you came from. So make sure your vaccinations are up to date. Italy's cracking down on vendors selling fake goods on the beaches this summer. Tourists could be fined €7,000. The tourists fined for buying counterfeit products. Obviously, beaches in Europe are hotspots and, uh, you know, regularly strolled around by all those vendors who largely come from West Africa and Bangladesh selling, you know, all that sort of cheap and cheerful so-called designer goods, um, sunglasses, all that sort of stuff. But the government, Italian government minister responsible for tourism says he wants to create safe beaches and prevent their trade as well as stop the sale of counterfeit goods. Interesting tactic in yeah. two ways. One, you know, it's kind of targeting people who are probably could do with a hand, like the immigrants, like West Africans yeah. and, and Bangladeshis, are trying to make a buck. But the other, more interesting tactic is targeting the tourists, fighting the tourists for buying the stuff. Interesting. €7,000 if you're caught doing that. That's a lot of money. Uh, and one more sort of just before we finish up. Uh, in Nepal, the government has launched an official special inve- investigation unit that will be looking at the activities of more than 500 expedition trekking and helicopter comp- country companies in the country who are accused of corruption and price fixing through unnecessary and fictitious helicopter rescues to defraud the travel insurance industry out of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's been a problem for uh, all insurance companies, and we have certainly been aware of it. So it's good to see that uh, the Nepalese government is actually going to launch an investigation and try and cut it out. The problem with it, of course, is everybody's premiums go up if there's fraudulent claims being put in. So... Do the right thing. Yep, just trying to help everybody out. There you go. That's my news. Well done. Still to come. I love love it when I say well done to you. It sounds so patronising, doesn't it? That was really good, Phil. Thanks, kid. (laughs) Still to come, our Chilean wine tasting. But now, earlier in the podcast, we spoke with our very own world nomad, Millie. Millie, who went to Chile. And she did the W track. And this man, his name... Phil? Guillermo. Guillermo actually met 
Millie. Al, Al Millie. <laughs> Al Millie. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? We're well. Now, do you remember meeting Millie? Because she certainly has fond memories of you. Yes, I, I remember her hair, her boyfriend. I, if I'm not wrong, they came on May 30th to, to my shop. And then they were the last people allowed to go to do Trek without a guide. Because in low season, there is a different story. You need to go with a guy, but they were lucky. They were kind of the last customer to go without one. And they had a very good time. So it's not easy to forget those kind of people. <laughs> it's not easy to forget idiots who want to go Very brave. Yeah. Very brave people. <laughs> <laughs> so you own a rental gear company. And does it specifically cater for people that are doing that particular trick? Yes. Yeah. Um, all kind of activity as well around the Torres and Pioneer National Park, all that area. I guess the gear is important, as we learned from Millie. It's really, yes. really quite cold. Yeah, yeah. I remember it, it was very cold to say sub-zero temperatures, about minus five, minus six degrees during the night. And during the day, probably not not higher, about four or five degrees. It's pretty chilly down here. <laughs> Pretty chilly in Chile. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it had to happen, got it right? In, got it in. <laughs> but but the, the great thing is then, though, Phil, obviously from a practical point of view, you don't have to carry all that cold gear around with you. Yep. You can go get it from our friend Guillermo. A little free plug for you, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's your rental company called? <laughs> it's called Rental Natalis. Also, you apparently have event, invented a new camping tool that you're trying to launch into the market. What is it? Ah, is still still a secret. It's uh well it's a product I it helps to insert and remove pegs from the ground. I'm working on it and and I hopefully try I will I'm trying to license it to Kathmandu so if there's someone from Kathmandu listening there, it will be great. <laughs> so did you deliberately make your voice sound or your accent very thick so that yeah, we it's a secret. We, did, yeah, okay. we didn't know what go, it is. I'm gonna go back to Spanish because it's a secret. <laughs> well good luck with that. Yeah. How many times have you um done the W track? Countless. <laughs> I was a tour guide before I opened up my shop and um, before that I went to the park as a tourist. So I I've been there a lot, a lot of times, um, and I, I, I lost track already. What is it that appeals to you? What is it that you like about the W track? Everything, everything. The entire park is really beautiful. You have to come down here sometime, and every day is different. Every time you go is different. I went on Friday, last Friday, I went with my, with my girlfriend, and uh, we saw a huge puma, like five meters away from us, next to our car. And then the next day, we have to go back to, to to town. And then on Sunday, we went back again to the park. And I, I would love to be there right now. It's, now in winter, it's really, really beautiful. Long, long nights, short days. Uh, special. It's very nice to do a lot of photography, see wildlife. And not to see many people yeah. as in summer. It's a, li- a little bit too crowded, like January, February, but it's really nice. And you can go 100 times in a year and 
every time is going to be different. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice place to live and work here. Well, you said it looks beautiful in winter, but apparently you're without water at the moment because it's so cold your pipes are frozen. Yeah, who told you that? <laughs> oh, I have eyes and ears everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it well, was I really... have no water in my house and not in my office either. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, old school shower or visited friends. <laughs> this morning I couldn't even open my car because the doors were frozen and stuck. <laughs> but it's part of the adventure. You love it. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. At least the, the air is pure, so no contamination, no smog. It, it, it's nice. Now, you mentioned you and your girlfriend went out the other day and you saw a puma. Uh, Millie told us that you actually took some uh, photos. Are you happy to share a couple with us that we can put in our show notes? Yes. And thanks for looking after Millie and Mark. Yeah, no worries. Actually, he was very secretive about that camping tour, wasn't he? I know. I know. It must be good. (laughs) It must be very good. We'll look out for that. And I can't wait to see those pics of the pumas. All right, time for the answer to your quiz question. As I said, by the time everybody hears this, it'll be over. But this uh, first week of July is time for a mango festival in which city? New Delhi. Kind of makes sense, really. You know, you mango in chutneys and in curries and things like that. So they, but they grow fifty different varieties of mango around uh, that district of of India. So, um, how much fun would that be? A oh, mango fa- festival in great. India, you'd go off. How tasty! It would be very good indeed. Very tasty. All right, now we've mentioned Chilean wine um, in the podcast. I'm not a fan. I've said that. I've said it probably four times now. Phil is a massive fan of Chilean wine. So he's gone and bought us a bottle. That's it. <laughs> and we're going to do a bit of a taste test with the staff. Welcome to the podcast studio. All right. And actually, it smells fantastic. Yeah, already I can I can smell it. Are we all wine connoisseurs or no? Uh, drinkers. Yeah, drinkers. 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 There you go. Grab one. I'm not going to go all, you know, sommelier on you. But. Yeah, all right. I don't want to catch you. Okay, I'm going to smell it. Mm. I smell a hint of passing out. <laughs> <laughs> a hint of blackout. A hint of blackout, yeah. Okay, this is uh, Pure Fay. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's a grape. It's actually a French grape, but they grow it extensively in Chile. Mm. <laughs> By the way, this is the bike at the bottle shop talking, not me. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. And the uh, the name of the grape is the Carmenere, which is <laughs> it's probably not. How do you like Renal? <laughs> the Carmenere. How do you like Renal? Or in Australia, Carmenere. <laughs> what are we what thinking? Think? Goes all right. Well, like it. Goes all right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm okay. I'm going to say it's it's it's. It's smooth. What do you think it's like? It's it's like um it's it's like a Shiraz. Shiraz. It's mm. like a Shiraz. But, Ooh, oh, hang on, it got me on the back a, end. Mm. With a big sort, a lot of fruit in there. Yeah, like sweet bit, sort of bit, berry fruit bit, in there. Bit well, um, pinoy. Yes. Can, yeah. 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 So what do you re- okay? How much would you pay for a bottle All of right, that? Kim? Let me have another taste. Have another taste. How much would you pay for a bottle of that? This is my. This is the way I buy wine. If I. Drink a wine and go, oh, that's a really expensive wine, but okay. it's only five bucks, then buy it because it's a bargain. So how much would you pay for that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, $15. No, don't buy that one then. It's a bit more than that. Is, have a guess. 25 25 What's your guess, Sean? Uh, 40 40 Yeah, I was going to say around the 40 Yeah. Around the yeah. 40 Yeah, you can... You can spot the wine snobs there, right? Forty bucks, forty dollars Australian, which is what 
just over 30 US dollars. Well, it's a lot more expensive than what Steph was suggesting. You can get good ones in Chile for six bucks. That's right. But this you got is, ripped off. But this is imported into Australia, so you know it's got all those travel costs on it as well. Or mm. approximately 20,000 Chilean peso. <laughs> oh, thank you, Alison. Well, that wraps up our episode on... Where are we, Chile? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, I have a question. Where's yeah. the Pisco? Where's the Pisco? Yeah, oh, we yeah, we should have done a Pisco. Oh. Well, after this, yeah, we'll all be fairly Piscoed anyway. We will be Pisco. <laughs> oh, here she comes. <laughs> Hang on. Emily's got to have a taste. Have a taste, Emily. You've got to taste it with a view to how much would you pay for how this How much bottle? would you pay for a bottle of that? She's thinking. $30. She's on the mark. Well, as I was saying, it wraps up the episode on Chile. Please subscribe, rate, share on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and iHeartRadio and contact us by emailing podcasts at worldnomads.com. Now, also... Uh, we're on Virgin Australia International. So hey, if you're we need flying, to toast that. Yeah, so if you're listening oh, to this whilst you're flying somewhere, you lucky things. Yeah, cheers. And listen to a few more episodes. Exactly, cheers and enjoy oh, your break. Now, next week, the third of our bonus episodes featuring amazing nomad Dan Pearson. What's he done? He walked across Cuba. We'll hear his story next week. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.